welcome back to the Time Death Podcast with your host, Taylor D. Taylor Driscoll. Whatever you want to call me, Tay Tay. I don't care. We're back. I did not post last week. I'm sorry. There were a lot of things going on. I took on some freelance work and I did not expect them to give me as much work as they did. (laughs) So I was drowning in that. And then on Sunday, I got extremely sick. So my two followers are going to have to wait until I... Friday. That's it. I'm sorry. But it's another Friday. It's beautiful. I'm so excited. In about 11 days, me and my boyfriend are going to Montana and Wyoming. I can't wait. There will actually be an episode that week. I promise. I'm going to do it actually about Montana's death penalty or what used to be. That should be an interesting an interesting episode. So anyway, let's get into this. We're doing part two of the Sacco and Vanzetti case. This one, honestly, is mainly the appeals, some of the protests that happened, their execution, and then other things that happened down the line. So this will be pretty interesting. So where we left off, we talked about the Madero's confession. So Celestino Madero's kind of confessed that the Morelli gang kind of was in charge or had participated in the Braintree robbery and murders. So that led to the appeals. And now we're hitting the second appeal process to see if we can get a new trial for Sacco and Vanzetti with all this new information coming out. And this trial took place January 27th and the 28th of 1927. Actually, a Harvard law professor named Felix Frankfurt, who was pretty prominent during the time, he argued for a retrial. He noted that the SJC had already taken a pretty narrow view of its authority when considering the first appeal. And he said that they needed to review the case as a whole instead of just looking at parts of it. At the same time, Major Calvin Goddard, who was a pioneer in forensic ballistics research, offered to conduct an independent examination away from defense, away from prosecution, just to look at the gun and the bullets in the case. And prosecution was the only one to accept this offer. I think defense was a little bit on the fence, only because what came out did not paint the two men in a good light. Again, we'll get into this later on but like the gun isn't really the best argument they had so this major not only concluded that the test bullet in Sako's gun matched that of the bullet that was at the scene but that the scratches made from the firing pin also matched those from the shell casings found at the scene at the Braintree murders as well And then historian Dave Kayser would go on like way later on to write that bullet three was actually not from the crime scene and that prosecution actually substituted it out for another bullet. But who knows? Like, they, they fight on both sides. Okay, you could say this, but where's your proof that that's true? I don't know. It's weird. So the SJC denied this second appeal with the determination being quoted in the New York Times. And the SJC said, the judge had a right to rule as he did but that the SJC did not deny the validity of the new evidence. They also went on to say it is not imperative that a new trial be granted even though evidence is newly discovered and if presented to a jury would justify a new verdict. People were pretty pissed about that. Kind of like, you know there's new evidence, you know there's new claims, why don't you just allow a new trial? And on top of it, this fucking judge is 
really biased. I mean, this, these men could have committed the, the crime. It's just they did not have a fair trial. Like, what is the problem here, right? So I kind of want to, I'm going to flip-flop around a little bit, but I want to talk about some of the protests that happened throughout this whole shit show. So back in 1924, many campaigned for a retrial, and obviously there was no success. Judge Thayer actually came out to confront one of the lawyers at the trial by saying, did you see what I did with those anarchist, anarchistic bastards the other day? I guess that will hold them for a while. Let them go and see what they get out of the Supreme Court. This outburst didn't come back out until 1927, and the New York World, which is a paper, attacked there for his comments by calling him, quote-unquote, an agitated little man looking for publicity and utterly impervious to the ethical standards one had the right to expect of a man presiding in a capital case. Again, I totally agree with, whoops, I just moved everything around in my room. I totally agree with this. Like, he's a pathetic, old, judgy, fuckface man. Like, you can't use your bias in court. And I get that's very difficult for human beings, but it was an unfair trial. Just say it. Uh, there was also a lot of people that signed petitions to the governor of Massachusetts at the time, like Albert Einstein and H.G. Wells, uh, to try to get some clemency for these two men. Even Mussolini, Mussolini was prepared to ask uh, the governor to commute their sentences if there was a chance his request would be granted. But he's like, eh, these men didn't really do anything wrong. Come on, guys. By 1926, there was a lot of tension building, right? So this is before their execution, but during this whole weird, like, appeals process trying to get these men clemency, things like that. So a bomb actually destroyed the home of the brother of the garage prop operator uh, who called the police the night of Sacco and Vendetti's arrest, which is kind of shitty because it's like, what did the brother do, you know? Like, go for... And I'm not an anarchist or anything, I promise. But go for the guy himself. Why are you going for his brother? I feel like that's just rude, but whatever. In 1927, the industrial workers of the world called for a three-day nationwide walkout protest their pending executions. And actually, in Colorado, 1,167 miners protested in the walkout, which led to a coal strike in the same year. And I think that was a really big thing. I don't really know anything about mining, but... Yeah, that led to a big coal strike in the same year. I think it was like a nationwide coal strike. Or it was just in Colorado. I didn't look it up, but I knew like they have a whole Wikipedia page about it. So that says something. And also, like I mentioned last episode, there was international protests as well. Like we're talking London, Amsterdam, Paris. You had, I mean, obviously in Italy, you had so many people backing these guys because the way that the U.S. was treating these two immigrants kind of hit home to a lot of these European countries. They saw this as kind of like an attack on them. It's like, whoa, like, why are you so hard on these two Italians? Like, you're not like this with your own why are you being like this? And then on top of it, to add a death sentence, a lot of people were like, um, I think that you're being extra harsh on them because they're European and especially because they're Italian and you just don't like their worldviews. Like, that's the only reason. Going off of that, in a 1926 issue of Protesta Umana, um, um, 
Umana. Umana. Umana? I don't know. There was an article signed by the two Sago and Benzetti that appealed for retaliation by their colleagues, and they really just wanted to see Thayer put to death himself, which, again, at the beginning of all this, I'm like, oh, guys, maybe we shouldn't be threatening the judge. I don't know. Like, I know you want some justice, but, you know, people read this. Like, maybe calm down a little bit. It was also urged to refer to Galliani's The Health is Within You manual. Remember that? The bomb-making manual? Everyone's like, oh, guys, maybe let's start making some bombs. Scare these motherfuckers into giving us our boys back. Everything will be good. Both men also wrote dozens of letters asserting their innocence and insisting that they had been framed for their crimes. And later, these letters would be turned into a book. I want to read this. I didn't get time to. But, you know, down the line, we'll get there. I promise. Looking at these two men while they were in jail is also interesting because you see this with some people. And this is why this doesn't really phase me. I'm like, oh, wow. Guards were impressed by them. The warden looked at them, like, looked up to them. A Dedham jail chapel actually wrote that he saw no evidence of guilt or remorse on Sacco's part. And that Vanzetti was seen as bookish, intelligent, incapable of committing any violent crimes. There's so many criminals. They're out there. They do their crime and then they get into jail and they become a saint really doesn't make me go oh my god they're actually really great people there's been so many criminals so many violent criminals actually i think there's one woman in australia who like fed her boyfriend to his kids i forget what her name is she's in jail right now and everyone thinks she's amazing no like you can't use that as Oh my god, these men didn't commit the crime, obviously. Like, shut up. Moving forward, on April 9th, 1927, Judge Thayer heard final, state final statements from both Sacco and Vanzetti, and Vanzetti actually said, I would not wish to a dog or to a snake, to the most low and misfortunate creature of the earth. I would not wish to any of them what I have had to suffer for things that I am not guilty of. But my conviction is that I have suffered for things that I am guilty of. I am suffering because I am a radical, and indeed, I am a radical. I have suffered because I am an Italian, and indeed, I am an Italian. If you could execute me two times, and if I could be reborn two other times, I would live again to do what I have done already. Now, they are sentenced, each of them, to death. Their initial execution dates were on July 10th, but were postponed twice. While there were requests for clemency, the governor at the time was considering them, so he pushed them back. And the governor, Alvin T. Fuller, he faced a bunch of last-minute appeals to grant clemency for these two men. And on June 1st, because he was getting so many of these appeals, he appointed an advisory committee to review the trial and determine whether or not it was fair. And there was a lot of tension here. A lot of tension. Because it's like, there were some people that were like, oh, you can't even do your own work, governor. And then other people were like, well, this advisory committee is going to obviously be biased because most of them were 
these really high up prominent figures but some people had a little bit of optimism because there was ties to harvard on there and because like i mentioned the harvard law professor that wrote for a retrial and was kind of on Sacco and benzetti's side so they assumed that maybe this guy would also be but alas that was not the case on august 3rd 1927, the governor refused to exercise his power of clemency, and the two men were set to be executed. Now, Stockholm and Vanzetti's executions were scheduled for midnight between August 22nd and the 23rd of 1927, and on August 15th, a bomb actually exploded at the house of one of the jurors from the Dedham trial. On the 21st, more than 20,000 protesters had assembled in Boston Common to rally against these executions. So, there's a lot of chaos happening, and that's what you get when you fuck with anarchists, as we all know, as we should know. But obviously, they or didn't know. Dumb fuck. And we'll hear more about what happens to him later, too. And so, as they waited there, both men refused a priest several times because they were atheists. And I guess no one can respect that. They're atheists. Let them be. And I'm sure that played into why they were executed as well. I'm not executed, but, like, given such an unfair trial. It's like, oh my god, they, like, don't fit any of the norms of our society. They're bad. When in reality, it's like, atheism has nothing to do with this. Vanzetti's attorney told him to make a statement opposing any violence that might come from their executions, and also asked both men to swear that they were innocent one last time. Now, Sacco was up first to the execution, like, to be executed, and he walked up to the electric chair and was strapped in. His last words were, farewell, mother. Now, Vanzetti was next up. He shook hands with the guards, thanked them for the way he treated him and Sacco, and his final statement was, I wish to forgive some people for what they are now doing to me. Now, death masks, which are these, like, plaster masks, were made of both men after they died, and it's kind of weird, and I don't know how I feel about it. I saw photos of them, and it's, it's like, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Now, if this wasn't obvious, like I mentioned, you're fucking with anarchists. There was a lot of violent demonstrations that happened throughout the country and the world. And actually, funny enough, I mentioned Paris, London, and Amsterdam, but Tokyo also participated in this, and obviously a bunch of other countries, but pretty weird. It's also alleged that these protests were organized by the Communist Party, which later on... We'll see some things that kind of tie that together when we talk about the tributes. So, yeah, let's keep that in mind. Sacco and Vanzetti had open casket funerals, and these were held at the Langon Funeral Home in the north end of Boston. There was over 10,000 mourners there to see them. And on August 28th, a two-hour funeral procession took place, and the two men were cremated at the Forest Hill Cemetery, which is weird because I used to pass by the Forest Hill Cemetery all the time going to school. Um, so when I think about that place now, I'm going to think of them, which is weird. But they're not there. Sacco's ashes were sent back to his hometown in Italy, and Vanzetti's were buried with him, with, like, with his mom, back in his hometown as well in Italy. So they're in Italy. They're not at the Forest Hill Cemetery. Thank God, because I'd feel weird, you know? And I'm sure there's a lot of, like, really weird dead people at the Forest Hill Cemetery, but it's really, it's a beautiful cemetery. If you, like, ever come to Boston, 
should you should definitely go there and then obviously the cemetery downtown that's a cool one too but anyway so let's talk about some aftermath um <laughs> more protests italian anarchist severino di giovanni bombed the american embassy in buenos aires Aires. A few hours after Sacco and Vanzetti were sentenced, so this was before their execution, actually. And after their execution, Sacco's widow went to thank Di Giovanni for what he did, and she actually went to go tell him that a tobacco firm named Combinados offered to produce a cigarette named after the two. I don't know why they did this, and maybe I misread something, but the tobacco shop was then later bombed by Di Giovanni and other anarchists. But, like, they were making a tribute cigar for them. Maybe because they don't want them profiting off of their death? I don't know. Who knows? And then on Christmas Eve of 1927, Di Giovanni blew up the headquarters of the National Bank of New York and the Bank of Boston in Buenos Aires as well. Uh, a year later, he would also fail to bomb the train in which President-elect Herbert Hoover was traveling during his visit to Argentina. Mind you, I, I don't think I made this clear, uh, Di Giovanni lives in Argentina at the time that all this happened. Now, other crazy protests that happened, one was a bomb explosion in a New York City subway a couple months after Di, Di Giovanni had failed to bomb the train that Herbert Hoover was on. Another bomb exploded in a Philadelphia church and another one at the home of a Baltimore mayor, which is kind of random. But also I think, you know, people are taking and just kind of running with it or taking this demonstration and running with it. Like they're saying, oh, this is for Sacco and Vanzetti when in reality they just have some kind of vendetta against the Baltimore mayor. I doubt that it's connected. Now on May 18, 1928, a bomb actually went off on the front porch of the executioner, Robert Elliott's home, and then Judge Thayer's home was actually wrecked in 1932. His wife and the housekeeper were both injured during the wreck, and I think Thayer had to kind of, like, flee and hide somewhere just to make sure nothing else would happen. And this is, like, later on. This is about, like, five years after their execution, and his house gets, like, fucking demolished which is terrible, but, like, also don't be a cunt. I don't think anyone else deserved anything, by the way. Only there. In October of 1927, H.G. Wells wrote an essay discussing the case at length, and he compared it to the Dayfist affair, and this was a political scandal back in France, and it had to do with the divide of the Third French Republic from 1894 to 1906. You want to learn more about that? feel free to. But this kind of goes back to what I was talking about, the European view of what's going on. And he felt as though many Americans failed to understand why Europe was so pressed about this whole case. So the guilt or innocence of these two Italians is not the issue that has excited the opinion of the world. Possibly they were actual murderers. And still, more possibly, they knew more than they would admit about the crime. Europe is not retrying Sacco and Benzetti or anything of the sort. It is saying what it thinks of Judge Thayer. Executing political opponents as political opponents after the fashion of Mussolini and Moscow, we can understand, or bandits as bandits, but this business of trying and executing murderers as reds 
or Reds as murderers seems to be a new and very frightening line for the courts of the state in the most powerful and civilized union on the earth to pursue. Basically, they're just saying, like, you're mad because these guys are anarchists and maybe communists, and that pisses you off because you have this, like, whole red scare going on. You've, you've instilled this into your people to be afraid of communism, whatever. But now you're literally publicly executing people kind of as a deterrent for what could happen, even though it hasn't happened yet. And he also argued that Americans are just too sensitive to foreign criticism as well. In 1928, Upton Sinclair... He's an American writer and political activist, published his novel, Boston. And this was a very harsh criticism of the American judicial system. And he explored Vanzetti's life a lot while writing this and kind of used him as a base for his fictional characters. He made Vanzetti very sympathetic throughout his book, but he did not absolve neither one of the men for the crime. Um, Although he did believe that the trial was unjust. And like I mentioned, Sacco and Vanzetti's letters were published in 1928 with journal- journalist Walter Lippmann writing, if Sacco and Vanzetti were professional bandits, then historians and biographers who attempt to deduce character from personal documents might as well shut up shop. Shut up shop. By every test that I know of for judging character, these are letters of innocent men. All right, all right, all right, all right. So now we look into the Massachusetts judicial reform. And so the SJC said it could not order a new trial, even if new evidence could spur a new verdict, right? We mentioned this. This led to drastic reform in the Massachusetts legal community. And in 1927, the Massachusetts Judicial Council cited that Sacco and Vanzetti's case had serious defects in our methods of administering justice. And a lot of serious changes happened. One in particular was restrictions on the number of changes designed to appeal to both sides of the political divide. The SJC argued that a judge would benefit from a full review of a trial and that no man should bear the burden in a capital case. Throughout 1937 and 38, the SJC repeated its recommendations and finally, a year later, it was adopted. And since then, the SJC has been required to review all death penalty cases and consider the entire case record to affirm or overturn. Whatever. You know? I mean, but now that doesn't matter because uh, Massachusetts doesn't have the death penalty anymore because we're just superior, obviously. (sighs) You know what I mean? Sorry, I drank some coffee. Since this was such a fucking big case, a lot of people came out with their own confessions. A lot of people came out with their own eyewitness accounts and statements. And here's one from 1941. Anarchist and member of the defense committee, Carlo Tresca, told writer Max Eastman that he believed Sacco to be guilty and Vanzetti to be innocent. He believed that Vanzetti was only an accomplice to Sacco, whether or not you want to believe that's innocent or not, that's up for debate, but he said that Sokka was the one that killed, and he pulled the trigger, right? This only came out when Eastman pressed Tresca about the truth of the men's involvement because he was so closely tied, and Eastman's story appeared in the National Review in 1961. So 20 years later, which is fucking, that's a long time, unless he was doing, like, a really in-depth report, but whatever. So, ex-anarchist and labor organizer Anthony Ramuglia 
said that in 1952, a group of anarchists in Boston asked him to be a false alibi witness for Sacco. And at the day of the trial, Romugula was in jail and couldn't testify. So they're trying to say that whatever alibi was provided from the defense was kind of just kind of paid for or organized and it wasn't truthful. There was also a conspiracy to why Sacco and Vanzetti had fled to Mexico during the war. Um, this one isn't so much having to do with um, their their murder case, but more so to do with how serious they were as anarchists. So the main thought was that they were dodging the draft, which they told everyone, but an anonymous colleague actually revealed that many anarchists went to Mexico because they couldn't make it to Europe, um, the U.S., and I'm also pretty sure Europe was kind of pushing them from coming back because a revolution was taking place in Russia that everyone wanted to attend, uh, but again, like, that has nothing to do with the case. I just thought it was interesting that they even mentioned that. Like, why say you're draft dodgers? Just say you're going to a revolution. You're an anarchist. We all get it. Understood. As ballistic technology began to improve more, Sacco's cult was tested again in 1961. The results confirmed that the bullet that killed Berdelli was fired from Sacco's cult. So this isn't news, but it's just, like, it's more substantial because this ballistic technology is improving so much that they can say once again, like, this is, what, like, the fourth time that they've tested it, or, like, however many times, and, and they're like, yep, this is, this is the one that killed him. In 1973, Frank Butzi Morelli's confession was published by a former mobster. Now, this Frank, or Butzi was Joe Morelli, the leader of the Morelli gang's brother, and he said, we whacked them out. We killed these guys in the robbery. These two grease balls. Sacco and Vincetti took it on the chin. I don't know how to do an accent. I don't even know if I'm doing that right, but Providence, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of how they sound in Rhode Island, but that's like such an Italian thing. I think they're Italian. And such a mobster thing to say, too. We whacked them out. Those two grease balls. Sacco and Vincetti took it on the chin. Uh, in 1982, Giovanni Gabera another anarchist reaffirmed the idea that Sokka was guilty and that Vanzetti was innocent, and he actually told his son this. In 2005, the LA Times published an article on Christmas Eve titled, Sinclair Letter Turns Out to Be Another Exposé, and this is actually in reference to a newly discovered letter from Upton Sinclair, remember the writer who wrote Boston, and this was to a, his attorney, John Beardsley. And Sinclair actually revealed a conversation he had with Fred Moore, who was Sacco and Vincetti's attorney, in which Moore admits to fabricating both men's alibis and stated that they were actually very guilty. Now, the LA Times interpreted that the letter also indicates that Sinclair didn't change the premise of his novel only because he feared the loss of sales and also backlash from the anarchists. Like, he saw what the fuck was happening to everyone else. He didn't want to be bombed or, like, be killed. Like, I, I mean, I get it, but also, like... Sinclair also expressed that he had doubts in Moore. Uh, he, he said that he really couldn't be trusted anyway because of what he's done throughout the case. So he kind of took his word for a grain of salt, but he just needed to tell someone just in case you know? All right, so now we're moving on to the tributes, because there's a lot of them. Actually, there's not that many. I just, like, looked, 
looked at the list and there's not. But in 1977, then Governor Michael Dukakis basically asked the office of the governor's legal counsel to look into whether or not Sacco and Manzetti were given an unfair trial. He said, look at this at least in the light of modern legal standards because he wanted to kind of like absolve these two men of the trial and not so much the crime, but just like like they had an unfair trial. And he also wanted to look at this because it was the 50th anniversary of their execution and kind of wanted, you know, something newsworthy. Then the report of the governor in the matter of Sacco and Vanzetti found that the trial was conducted fairly in the first instance, but arguments were made that such doubts were only reinforced by later evidence and eyewitness testimonies. The report went on to question the prejudicial cross-examination that the trial judge had allowed. It also dismissed that the trial had been subjected to judicial review, arguing, quote-unquote, the system for reviewing murder cases at the time failed to provide the safeguards now present. What safeguards are those? Not very sure. I think looking at it, the bias within the court, also with the Italians that went to testify that got confused because they didn't have the right interpreters, that probably could have also played into it. On August 23rd, 1977, the Office of Legal Counsel declared the 50th anniversary of Nicola Sacco and Bar- Bartolomeo Vanzetti a Memorial Day for the two. Also, I just want to say before we keep going, I met Michael Dukakis. He's a professor at my, like, on my alma mater, and he's a pretty cool man. He's really funny, and his wife's really funny, too. Kitty. (laughs) Kitty? That's such, like, a 70s name. It reminds me of that 70s show. Other tributes included a 70th anniversary showcase of the two men's plaster cast. Remember the the murder cast that the two men had? And uh, this was executed by then-Boston Mayor Thomas Menino in 1997. I also met him. He came to, like, one of my school things when I was younger rip menino he's a great he was a great mayor the city's acceptance of these of this piece of artwork is not intended to reopen debate about the guilt or innocence of sacco and vanzetti it is intended to remind us of miscarried justice and the right we all have to a fair trial and he said this well they opened this art show now this did reopen debate a lot of people were trying to figure out whether or not these two men were guilty or innocent, eh, you know, but like that was going to happen. Another mosaic mural was installed at Syracuse University's campus, and this portrayed the whole trial. Uh, Weird enough, many sites, and this is, (laughs) this is where I think that the communists did rally up people for those international protests, because here's some weird shit that they were doing for Sacco and Vanzetti. So many sites in the former USSR are named after Sacco and Vanzetti, and this includes street names, apartment complexes, a region in Ukraine, a beer production facility, and a popular Russian pencil brand. Sacco and Vanzetti pencils. Like, imagine you grow up in elementary school and you just, like, are writing with Sacco and Vanzetti pencils, not knowing what this is. It's like, oh, these are the two men that were executed in the U.S. because they were anarchists. I wonder if they, like, taught their history in schools in the USSR. Hmm. Because they, like, seem to be super infatuated with them. A beer production facility, too? Like, what? What kind of beer are you making there? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't good beer, because I can only imagine, but, like, 
Jesus. Uh, and finally, in 2017, the Eagle Scout Project, which I already have my own problems with, placed a plaque outside of the Norfolk Superior Court commemorating the trial as well. So, that is the trial, the execution, and the aftermath of the Sagan Vinzetti men. <sighs> We're done with that. Next week, I'm doing the Rodney Alcala case, which I'm already dreading because I fucking hate that man. And technically, I don't even know why I'm covering it. It's not like he got executed. He, like, died in prison because he's an old, weak son of a bitch. Anyway, if you like this episode, if you like me... If you want to listen to more, please feel free to follow me on all my social media at Time of Death Pod. I just made a TikTok too, so like follow me there. If you really like me, you can give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And just stay safe out there. Drink more coffee. Don't buy pencils if they're the Sacco and Vincetti brand. Okay, have a great day. Bye.